With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, everybody? It's Jaren from the Hockey Podcast Network's newest show, the Windy City Benners Podcast. My co-host Tanner and I bring our unique takes on Blackhawks hockey. Us on the show have been a, a pro Carlton guy. For He's the right coach for the situation. Giving it to our rivals. That's one of the things that kind of sucks. I wish we would have had the Blues in our division this year because our trash. As well as bringing in some guests from the NHL. Please welcome to the show, goaltender Scott Darling. The Eagle himself, Ed Belfort. Brian Bickle. David Boland. Letter Kenny. The, the show started out with uh, basically a, a beer league hockey team. And anybody who loves the game. Find us on all your favorite podcast apps, the Hockey Podcast Network website, and on social media at WCB Podcasts. The hits literally keep on coming. From one boxing event to the next, the growing excitement and anticipation. And this weekend is no different, with two of the sport's most respected fighters stepping into the ring Saturday night. There is no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all new users a shot at turning $1 into $55. To celebrate this weekend's huge event, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering new users the opportunity to get 55 to 1 odds on either main event fighter to win this weekend's fight. That's bet $1, and if the fighter of your choice wins, you win $55. Plus, with basketball and hockey playoffs right around the corner, DraftKings Sportsbook has even more ways for you to make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, meaning you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated Sportsbook app now and use co- promo code THPN when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can bet $1 to win $55 on this weekend's main event. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out for new users by offering them the chance to win $55 when placing a bet of $1 on this weekend's big fight. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Welcome to New York.
Attention fans, this is the Devil's State of Mind Podcast, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Now here's your host, Neil Villapiano! Devils fans, it is once again your boy Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast, right here exclusively on the Hockey Podcast Network, the best place, as always, to get the most up to date news and topics going on about your New Jersey Devils. I hope you guys are having a fantastic day wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for taking some time to check out these episodes. Myself and the rest of the Hockey Podcast Network, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Folks, we are approaching the end of the regular season. We are coming off the final two home games of the regular season. And it is crazy, honestly, to think about where we have come since the beginning of January and even earlier than that, when we didn't even know if we were going to have a season at all, considering all the things that have been going on and are still going on, particularly with COVID-19. But it has been a trying year for the Devils, very up and down. And, you know, obviously I'll go into more of a season recap uh, relatively soon once we get to the end of the regular season. But today... We have a jam-packed episode for you today. What we're going to be talking about first is we're going to recap the final two home games of the regular season for the Devils as they took on the Boston Bruins. We also have some very interesting news that came across us basically over the last day or so. If you guys listening to this on Thursday, it came up in the afternoon of Wednesday some news that involves our crosstown rivals, the New York Rangers, that we'll talk about. And the Devils also on Wednesday announced another prospect signing. So we'll talk about that as well. So as you can see, we have a bunch to talk about. So let's not waste any more time and drop the puck. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the two games between the Devils and Bruins this past Week, the final two home games, as I've mentioned several times already uh, for the Devils this year uh, in this regular season, this very short regular season comparatively to other years. And we're going to start with the game on Monday, May 3rd. And, you know, the first thing was, I guess the first surprise was Scott Wedgwood was going to make the start. And this was the first time he had started a game since that 7-6 to loss to the Penguins in which we went down you know, six, nothing almost came all the way back, but ended up losing seven to six to Pittsburgh. So that was the last time we saw Scott Wedgwood. And we knew that most likely Mackenzie Blackwood was going to get the, the, the bulk of the rest of the games this year. I wouldn't be totally surprised if he played the final three regular season games this year for the devils consider, you know, they, they won Blackwood to try to finish the year on a high note, knowing that it's been a difficult year for him as it's been a difficult year for basically this entire team, considering how young we are and all the factors that we've been dealing with. But nonetheless, Scott Wedgwood making the start. Do I think that this is probably the last time we're going to see Scott Wedgwood this year? Probably. 
And I think considering what the Devils are going to try to do in the offseason, I wouldn't be surprised if this was the last time we see Scott Wedgwood with the Devils, at least for now. I mean, there's a chance that he may bring him back on a minor league deal or, or whatever, but I think the chances are very slim considering that Wedgwood, for the most part, has been average at best to below average. I mean, it's kind of what we expected. He was brought in to be the third string goaltender behind Corey Crawford before Crawford pretty much retired uh, before training camp even really got fully underway. But going into these, these two games, the Devils are obviously riding a three-game winning streak. So are the Bruins. And the Bruins came in with a little bit of extra motivation because all they needed going into this game was at least a point and or the Rangers losing at home to the Washington Capitals. So the Devils were in a pretty interesting situation, but I remember Lindy Ruff saying earlier this week that the team was going to take these final five games or so as just, you know, experience for facing against, you know, teams that are in the playoffs and are fighting for things and, you know, giving them an opportunity to be really, really competitive against some of the top teams, not only in the division, but certainly some of the top teams in the National Hockey League. And looking at the Devils, I mean, they, they come into this seat, they come into these final two games against Boston, having already beaten the Bruins four times. So we already secured at least a draw in the regular season series against Boston. But as I mentioned in the previous episode, all we needed to do was win one of these two games and we will have clinched the season series uh, victory as a whole against Boston, which I think was a really good motivating factor for the Devils. Plus also trying to give the fans in these last two games something to be positive about to end the year, I think was also another motivation. But I got to be very honest with you guys. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this first game because quite frankly, the Devils really didn't show up. The only guy that ended up really showing up in this game was Scott Wedgwood, who had to make 38 saves or 39 saves out of 40 some odd shots. And it was really bad through the first 40 minutes because other than the Nico Hishier two-on-one, which was a really good opportunity, and Nico took the shot, but Tukaras made the save, the Devils were just basically outplayed in that period. The shots were 17 to four in favor of the Bruins after the first 20 minutes. But luckily, because Scott Wedgwood had arguably his best game of the season, for the Devils, it remained scoreless, no 0-0 after one period. And the Bruins basically just continued to play the way that they were playing in the first into the second period, continued to dominate, and they would eventually strike first a little over halfway through the game and halfway through the period on a one-time slap shot from Nick Ritchie from the far right side. And, you know, Wedgwood just was a step behind, but I'm not really going to blame him. He he was just constantly making save after save, and the Bruins didn't even score their first goal until the 28th shot that they had taken. So imagine Scott Witch, which already made 27 saves, not even halfway through this game, and that shot was just a very difficult shot, and it, when you see it in slow motion, you could see how Wedgwood was just a millisecond behind. If he'd gotten there over even less than a second earlier, he probably makes that save. But nonetheless, the Bruins finally got rewarded for basically their hard work and, you know, really outplaying the Devils. And as a result, got themselves a one nothing lead. They would later add on another goal with about two minutes to go in the period where uh, Brad Marchand was behind the net, 
passed out in front to the Bruins captain, Patrice Bergeron, and he just tapped it in, beating Scott Wedgwood and giving the Bruins a 2-0 lead going into the third period. And what made the second period even worse, other than giving up two goals, was the fact that the Devils were outshot even more in the second period. The shots were 20-5 to in favor of the Bruins, and it was in favor of the Bruins 37-9 to through 40 minutes. And when you really look at it, you could easily sit there and say that this, is, this was one of the worst, if not the worst, game the Devils have played this year. Honestly, I've seen them play worse. And the reason that it probably wasn't the worst is because of how well Scott Wedgwood was playing. At this point, he had already made 35 saves through two periods. So we still had a period to go. And also, it was only two to nothing. So if the Devils had decided to wake up in the third period, the Devils would have had a shot to come back in this game but they really just could never get going. I'm not really sure exactly what the issue was. I think it was a combination. I'm going to be try to be as fair as I can. I think it was a combination of one, the Bruins did a really good job of getting in front of shots and blocking them. Two, the Devils at times are just not very creative with their shots on goal. They take shots from pretty much where a lot of teams take shots, and it makes it much more predictable for these other teams to block shots in front of us, particularly when we played like the Islanders, they really seem to know exactly where to be to block, you know, shot after shot after shot. And that could be very, very frustrating for a young team still trying to learn. But still, it's not an excuse to not be a little bit more creative with the shots on goal and try to really just throw everything you possibly can at the net, as opposed to just looking for the beauty shot, so to speak. But nonetheless, the Devils just continued to not find the back of the net. The Bruins would add another goal late in the third, and the goal that they scored was kind of vindicative of how not only this game had been going, but the entire season. It was a shot from Matt Grizzly from the point. It actually hit Ryan Murray right in the legs, and it redirected under the legs of Scott Wedgwood and into the back of the net to give the Bruins a 3-0 lead. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you guys. I thought the game was over at about the five-minute mark of the third period because it just looked like that the Devils had very little to no momentum at all. They had had a couple of decent chances, do not get me wrong, but they weren't converting and they weren't creating a multitude of chances that they're capable of doing in other games. And the Bruins just continued to have these, these points in the game where they were just throwing everything at the net and getting shot up the shot and getting so many good opportunities and they got rewarded for it. And that's just what happens. And when you got things rolling, you're going to get goals like that. So unfortunately the devils gave up another goal. They would not score. And they ended up dropping this game at home by the score of three to nothing. It was the first time all season that the Devils had lost to Boston in regulation. Even though the Devils had lost to the Bruins earlier this year in Boston, they had lost that one in a shootout. So this was the first time the Bruins could celebrate beating the Devils in a regulation game. It was also just the fourth time this year that the Devils were shut out. So again, I will look at it and say if the Devils could finish these final three games of the regular season and scoring at least one goal to be only shut out in four of the 50 some odd games you've had this year. I'd say it's a pretty, pretty good job. Honestly, like I think that that's a pretty bang up job. Do not get me wrong, but nonetheless, it was a frustrating loss uh, with the win. Obviously the Bruins had clinched the playoff spot, but also the Rangers had gotten destroyed 
by the Washington Capitals by the score of six to three that same night. And that eliminated the New York Rangers from playoff contention. So at least from a devil's perspective and devil's fans, if you want to look at one positive from this game, we at least were able to knock out another team from playoff contention. First, we knocked ourselves out by just not performing, you know, up to the point where we could win games. Then we were able to eliminate the Philadelphia Flyers last week, which was obviously fun. And we also helped out the Bruins in eliminating the New York Rangers from playoff contention as well. And we will talk more about that Rangers loss because there is something very important that happened in that game. And you all probably know where I'm going with this, but it involves, you know, a certain player on the Washington Capitals who wears number 43 and what the results of what he did led over the next two days or next 24 to nearly 48 hours later, which is really crazy. And that's, again, going to be part of the second thing that we're going to talk about here in this episode. But again, obviously a frustrating loss. Our winning streak comes to an end at three. But, you know, the, the biggest thing that was a concern to me was, okay, we now play the Bruins again the very next night. And this is it. This is our final home game of the year, our last chance for fans to see us play, you know, in person. Can we find a way to win this game to at least finish the season at home on a high note and give Devils fans something to be positive slash happy about to take into the offseason? Because obviously we're not going to the playoffs for many different reasons. But let's shift to that Devils-Bruins game the very next night, May the 4th. May the 4th be with you in case any of you guys are big Star Wars fans. Also, I didn't watch the majority of this game. I watched basically only the third period because that day was my mother's birthday. So for the first time in a long time, we actually went out together as a family to a restaurant. We went with my aunt, my uncle, my great aunt, um, and, one, and a couple other people. And it was just a great time all together. Uh, to just see those people that I had not seen since 2019 because of obviously the pandemic, but to see them in person and enjoy a nice meal, uh, it was just great. And I was really happy about it. I mentioned on social media, both on Twitter at Devil State and on Instagram at Devil State of Mind, that I wasn't going to be brought, I wasn't going to be covering most of the game, but I would try to cover as much as I could. So I had to watch some of the highlights, you know, on YouTube to kind of, you know, get a full thing. But I'm glad I got home in time to see the third because the third period was really the juicy period. But let's let's not jump right into that. Let's start with going in chronological order. So like I said before, this was the final home game of the regular season for the Devils, knowing that the final three games would be on the road, not really that far away, you know, back to back against the Islanders in Long Island and then finishing off in Philadelphia against the Flyers. But still, you want to find a way to win this final home game to finish the year at home on a high note. And right from the puck drop, the first puck drop, the Devils came out and were playing much better, way more aggressive. They were getting back to the type of hockey that these guys are capable of playing with the, the youth and the speed and the skill that we have with these young players. We were able to dictate some of the pace in this period, which is good. And we hit a couple posts. I believe Sharon Govich hit the crossbar on one shot. He also had another good chance right in front that Yaroslav Halak made a really good save. And the Devils just continued to pounce, to pounce, to pounce. And you were hoping the way that they were playing that at some point they were going to finally break, break through and get a goal. And that's exactly what they did. 
because the Bruins early on in this game were taking several penalties. And at one point, the Devils had a five on three. And they won the faceoff with about three seconds to go on the five on three. Jack Hughes made a gorgeous pass over to a wide open Pavel Zaka. He took the one time slap shot. It hit off of the glove of a Bruins defenseman and into the back of the net. And the Devils got themselves the one nothing lead. And for Zaka, that's his 14th goal of the year, already a season slash career high. So Zaka continues to really, really have developed well. And I want to say something really quick about Pavel Zaka. You know, when we took him in the middle of the first round, when we did, and obviously you think about some of the other guys we could have taken had we known, um, you know, instead of taking Zaka, it's understandable why it's been frustrating to see Zaka maybe not live up to the hype that he had coming out of his draft year. But I remember when Mark Recchi got hired as the assistant, as an assistant coach under Lindy Ruff, mainly focusing on the offense slash power play. One of the guys that Recchi said that they really had to get going was Pavel Zaka. And even though I've been very critical of Mark Recchi, particularly for the power play, I will say that I think he's done a very good job of helping develop Zaka and help him get better. And for him to have a career high in goals and getting close to really just, honestly, when you think about what he would be having if it was an 82-game season, it goes to show just how much better Pavel Zaka, like several other players, has gotten in just this year with this new coaching staff. But, you know, obviously, great goal by Zaka. Nothing wrong with a little bit of luck deflecting off somebody. Most importantly, it's one nothing. Devils. But once the Devils took the lead, they fell back like they'd done so many times defensively. And the Bruins came back and were playing like they had played the night before, peppering Mackenzie Blackwood with shot after shot. But Blackwood stood tall in net, would not allow the Bruins to score, and it ended up being one nothing Devils after 20 minutes. But going into the second period, the Bruins continued to dictate the pace and eventually were able to get going. It started with Bergeron took a wrist shot, or not, I guess you call it a wrist shot, but he kind of did a turnaround shot after the original shot was blocked. And I guess through a little bit of a screen, uh, Mackenzie Blackwood just couldn't see it, and he was beat far side, and the game was tied at two. And Bergeron has been one of those guys that really seems to get going when he plays the doubles. He has a lot of success, and that's just how it is. But just about five minutes into the period, the game is tied at one. And as the period progressed, it just seemed like the Bruins were getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, remember, the Bruins are still looking to try to solidify, you know, getting themselves an opportunity to finish as the number one seed in the East Division. So they still have meaningful games to play here. So they're going to come out and play hard. They're not just going to lay down and let the Devils do whatever they want just because it's the final game of the, uh, of the season at home for the Devils. But again, the Bruins just continued to get stronger. And then we got like the weirdest goal I've seen in quite some time. And Taylor Hall came down the right wing on a, a somewhat of a two-on-one, more of a two-on-two. And it looked like he was going to take a wrist shot. But instead, he dropped it back to Matt Grizzlick, who took the shot. And it somehow went in the net. And none of us could figure it out because we saw Taylor Hall go flying in the air because he either got tripped by Blackwood or got tripped by Tennyson, whatever way you want to say it, he went flying into the air, landed, and by the time he's on the ground, the puck is in the net. When they showed the replay, what happened was that Taylor Hall did get tripped up a little bit by Matt Tennyson, 
probably should have been a penalty. I think they probably would have called it if the puck hadn't gone in the back of the net. But as Taylor Hall got tripped and was in midair, Grizzly's shot hit Taylor Hall's skate and deflected into the net. And the Devils ended up challenging this. I think they ended up challenging it for goalie interference. It was somewhat of a weak challenge. And, of course, the refs came out, said it was a good goal. You saw Taylor Hall get very excited because that was the first time since he had gotten traded from the Devils that he had scored against us. He had gotten a bunch of assists when he was with Buffalo, but he hadn't really scored yet. So that was the first time he really did that. And the Devils, to add insult to injury, since they lost the challenge, they had to go on the penalty kill. And luckily, the Devils didn't give up a goal. And the score was 2-1 to after two periods. And this is when I got home. This is when I got home. So, obviously, it, it's gut check time. We're into the final 20 minutes of playing at home. And you got only one period left to try to finish the season at home on a high note and really just try to give the fans something to, to be happy about. And boy, not only did the Devils make it interesting, the Bruins made it interesting as well. These two teams, they put on a show in that third period. The teams traded chances through the first half of that period, back and forth, good opportunities on both ends. And then at the 9-10 mark, Jesper Boquist, an unlikely hero, just gets the puck off a rebound. It was Damon Severson taking a shot from the point. It came out to Jesper Boquist on that rebound, and he knocked it in with his strong side, and he tied the game up at two. For Boquist, that's just his fourth goal of the year, but most importantly, he ties the game at two. And, you know, obviously this has been another challenging year for Boquist in just his second, I guess you want to say, full year in the NHL. And he did say, though, that he's starting to get more comfortable, and I'm sure the Devils are going to want to continue to have him play, continue to develop him. And like I said before in the previous episode, the chemistry he has with a guy like Nick Merkley could really be valuable down the road. So I think it's something to keep your eye on, not just for the rest of this season, but going into next year, depending on how things shape up with the roster and everything in between. Unfortunately, the game being tied did not last very long. It's about 90 seconds later. Sean Corrali had the puck deflect off of his skate from a David Pasternak shot and it, in, and, and it redirected into the back of the net and the Bruins retook the lead at three to two. So that was obviously very frustrating. And I got pretty pissed off because it was like, it was a classic thing where the devils have done this before, where they either tie the game up or retake the lead. And then not even two minutes later, they give it right back. And that's something that has been very frustrating that needs to be corrected for these last four games, for these last three games, excuse me, and going forward, because we're not going to get to where we need to be with constantly playing that way. But just about two minutes later, this is where some of the craziness really started to happen. Pavel Zaka got a nice pass down the middle of the ice into the ozone. He deep passed one defender, had to almost leap over him, took a shot to actually beat Yaroslav Halak, or at least got a piece of him. It hit the post. It rolled on the blue on the on the goal line, not over it, just on it. And Nico Hischer was standing right there looking for the tip-in. And he saw it at the last second, but he was. But because he was a step behind, the Bruins were able to just clear it in time before Nico could tap it in. So the game at this point still is at 2-2. But just 30, 40 seconds later, a beautiful long pass from Damon Severson in his own zone 
to Sharon Govitz, who stayed just onside, created a two-on-one, took a wrist shot far side that beat Yaroslav Halak, and the Devils tied the game up again, this time at 3-3. Three to three. And for Sharon Govich, or Sharon Govich, as I've been calling him all year long, that was his 16th goal of the season, continuing to get just really finishing the year on such a high note. And it would be great if he could somehow get four goals in the next three games and finish with 20 goals. I think that would be something really great to see from a guy who has been the biggest surprise of anybody. Because again, we knew what he was doing in the KHL. And he did, you know, have some fireworks right away in just his second game of the year, scoring his first NHL goal as a game winner in overtime against these same Boston Bruins. But still, I mean, you know, he he and he kind of fell off a little bit here and there. But over the last month or so, especially since the trade deadline, he has really stepped up and has really gotten a bunch of goals. And it's it's great to see. That's four goals in the last four or five games for him. He's really gotten himself rolling over these last couple of games. The teams would then trade chances back and forth. But unfortunately, for both sides, just could not get another goal. And so the game had to go to overtime. So it was one of those things where, okay. Can we, can we, you know, this is going to be a dramatic thing one way or another. We're either going to have a frustrating loss to end the year at home, or we're going to find a way to send these fans off until October with a big time victory. And it seemed like pretty much right from the puck drop to start overtime, the Devils kind of dictated the pace. They had some good opportunities. And Sharon Govich ended up getting tripped about minute 30 into the overtime session, drew a penalty. So it's like, okay, here we go. And the Devils started setting up on a four-on-three with a delayed penalty. Mind you, the Bruins have not touched the puck yet in this overtime. And they had not touched the puck yet to stop play to set up the power play. So it was four-on-three. The Devils still had the puck in the zone. And you had Nico, Jack Hughes, Zaka, and I think I think it was Damon Severson. I could be wrong. Uh, that was on the ice at this point. And the guys were passing the puck like they normally do, passing it so much. Drive me nuts. But eventually, you had Nico pass it over to Jack Hughes. Hughes over to Zaka on the left side, and he had a lot of room right in the slot where he could just walk, skate right in. And that's exactly what he did. Went from his forehand to his backhand, top shelf, beating Yaroslav Holak just under his arm. And the Devils win the game in overtime and get themselves a big victory in their final home game of the season. Zaka with his second goal of the night and his 15th of the year as he's one behind Sharon Govich for the team lead. And that was such, honestly, that was the most emotion I had expressed in a long time watching this team, especially this year, because again, it was such a big thing for them to to win their final home game and to really give their their you know the fans something to be happy about. And it was great to see you know Yaroslav Halak literally a year ago, you know, or actually two years ago now. Jesus, well last season he had a situation where he gave up a goal in overtime. I forgot what game it was, and he was so mad he slammed the stick on top of the goal crease, broke it, and and skated off. And it was basically the same thing. He broke his stick. He broke it on the boards near his bench. He kicked over a stool and then proceeded to go to the locker room. That was a great thing to see. You saw Pasternak being so, you know, down about losing that game. It was such a great victory for the team and just a great way for the fans. So anybody who was there, I'm sure, feels very happy that they got to see the Devils win one more time this season at home. And with that win, like I mentioned before, 
The Devils have now won the season series against the Boston Bruins with a 5-1-2 and two record. This is the third team in the division that we've won the season series against. And that's still great. Honestly, it doesn't matter who. But the reason why against Boston, it's so much more important is because, look, the Bruins are not only a you know, going to make the playoffs, they're going to be a Stanley Cup contender. We know this. They're, they're prepared to make a long run to try to win a Stanley Cup this year. And for us to win five of the eight contests against them, and not only beating them, we beat them on the road, we've shut them out twice, we've had their number for the majority of this year, that's tremendous. It really is. And, you know, look, it's been a really tough year, particularly at home with that only being, I think, the seventh victory at home this year. It's still great nonetheless. And I think that was the important thing. And, and you saw, and I remember Lindy Ruff saying after the game that that was really what we want, they wanted to do at the end of the day was to win one more time at home for the fans. And, and that's what they got. And I love that moment uh, when Jack Hughes is being interviewed on MSG by Erica Walker and Bryce Salvador, where he's talking to them and Ty Smith, who had not played in that game due to an injury, he had come from behind and kind of like surprised Jack Hughes. And they had a little bit of a, yeah, you know, a friendly skirmish a little bit. And Jack Hughes just yelled at him saying, go home, go home. It was very funny. And I know Jack Hughes and Ty Smith are roommates. So I guess uh, Ty Smith was still waiting for Jack Hughes to drive him home or whatever the case may be. And it was, it was just a very fun moment. And some of the pictures that the Devils shared on their Instagram and Twitter of the guys, you know, getting some pictures at the end with big smiles on their face. It was great. It was just great. It really was. And again, guys, I said it before. I'm at that point in my time watching this team where I really don't care where we finish the season. I don't care what draft pick we get. I just want to see the team win now. That's what I want to see. I want to cherish the victories. I want to see this team win as much as possible, regardless of how good or bad we are. So any win, regardless of the situation, is wonderful to me. And so for me, it's just been a breath of fresh air over the last couple of episodes to talk to you guys about games that the Devils actually won, as opposed to just spending 30 minutes telling you guys once again that we are not very good and we're losing all the time, blah, 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 blah. And it's crazy how I remember when I said on the podcast a couple of days, a couple episodes ago that I said, I didn't think this team could win another game. They have proceeded to win four of the last five games. So that's awesome. I just want to be, that's what I wanted. I want to be wrong. I want the devils to prove me wrong and go out there and win games. We've won four of our last five. And again, guys, look, do I think it's possible that we could win our last three games? I do. Do I think it's likely? No, but if we do, let's put it this way. That's a four game winning streak to end the year and also winning what that would be seven of our last eight. I think that would be freaking awesome. Regardless of where we finish in the standings, that's freaking awesome. So that's the thing you got to look at. And so for me, to win that game last night, to win the season series against a very good Boston Bruins team is great. It's absolutely great. And I'm really happy the Devils were able to do that. Now, we got a couple more things I just want to share with you guys. Really quick, very interesting stuff. One that involves the Devils and one that doesn't really involve the Devils, but involves our crosstown rivals. And let, let's talk about that first. So. At around 3 p.m. on Wednesday, the 5th of May, the New York Rangers, well, not the Rangers at first, but Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet tweeted out that the New York Rangers had fired both their president, John Davidson, and general manager, Jeff Gordon. That shocked me. That shocked me. 
And here were the reasons that we were told. There were two. Well, there was one reason that people want to believe. And then there's the reason that everybody wants to assume is the reason. The first one is basically people are saying that Gordon and Davidson did not back the team for what happened with Tom Wilson involving the Rangers back on Monday. The Rangers had put out a statement saying that they were very upset about the fact that the NHL did very little to protect their players in that situation. Uh, Tom Wilson ended up getting fined for what he did. Only, I think, $5,000. George Perios, uh, the head of the NHL players' safety, um, basically didn't want to suspend at all Tom Wilson for that. And the Rangers were actually calling for Perros to be fired, which is kind of a crazy thing. I respect the Rangers, by the way, for doing all this because I'm going to explain in a minute what exactly happened in case you don't know. But again, this, you know, he, it happened and that's, that's just what it is. But that, but they were saying, the media was saying basically that because both Gordon and John Davidson didn't really come out and back the team, that that was the reason they got fired. We later found out that Davidson and Gordon actually didn't even know the team was going to uh, post something about this. This apparently was by James Dolan, uh, the owner of the Rangers, also the owner of the Knicks. He actually was the one that put out that statement. So Davidson and Gordon didn't know. Uh, another reason that I heard uh, as well was that uh, James Dolan wanted uh, John Davidson to fire Jeff Gordon and Davidson didn't want to do that. And as a result, uh, Dolan decided to fire them both. Uh, another reason was that James Dolan has felt that the team is underachieved which is kind of ridiculous if you ask me, because here's why. Well, actually, let's let's backtrack a little bit. Let's go to the Tom Wilson situation. So again, in case you don't know, the Rangers, like I mentioned before, they had lost 6-3 to three on Monday to the Washington Capitals. But the story of that game was there was a stop. Well, one of the goaltenders for the Rangers made a save. The referee blew a whistle. And then there was like this whole big brawl, pushing and shoving right by the net. And both teams started you know, really getting aggressive punching. And Tom Wilson, who we've known for so long, just loves to just push things over the limit. He really put things over the limit. It started with, he was down on his knees and Pavel Buchnevich was right in front of him with his head behind him. And basically Tom Wilson sucker punched him in the back of the head. And his head hit the ground, hit the ice, which is not a soft thing, obviously. So that was a cheap shot. And as a result, both teams started really pushing and shoving. And then as the teams were doing this, Tom Wilson got Artemi Panarin and basically like it was WWE, body slammed him to the ground. And he got hurt and Artemi Panarin was ruled out for the rest of the season, which is only three games. But still, it's, you know, he's he's your superstar player. And Tom Wilson got thrown to the ground. I don't know if he ended up getting ejected from that game. I didn't, I didn't watch it. I've seen video of what happened with Tom Wilson. And look, Tom Wilson has done this not only several times this year, but he's done it throughout his entire career. And my whole thing is that the NHL has just basically done nothing to try to prevent this. It's almost like they want it to happen and they want it to continue to happen because they need a villain, so to speak. And for Tom Wilson, I mean, he's not just a goon. He does score goals. He is very productive. I mean, he's really productive. He's been on the power play several times with Ovechkin and those guys, and he's done very, very well. So he's not your typical goon. But at the same time, there really is nobody in the NHL that much, except maybe if you want to put Matt Martin and Ryan Reeves, that really does anything about this. And 
I know that once the playoffs start, somebody's going to want to take a run at Tom Wilson. And I think if it's the Islanders, it's going to have to be Matt Martin. I think somebody's going to have to try to do something here. And a lot of people were calling for Tom Wilson to be suspended. Uh, some people were even saying that he should be banned from the NHL because this isn't the first time. And it's true. This is not the, this is the, this is one of many times that Tom Wilson has done this. I mean, I've seen videos on YouTube where it's just 10 minutes of Tom Wilson. The title literally says 10 minutes of Tom Wilson being an asshole. I mean, that's, that's literally what the title of the video is. So this is not the first time. But what he did was ridiculous. I mean, he sucker punched somebody while he was defenseless down on the ice, and he could have gotten a concussion for that, and then he body slammed another guy. I mean, that's really ridiculous. Now, look, we cover the Devils. We don't like the Rangers at all. But still, you got to look back, and you got to look at it and say, how would we feel if Tom Wilson had done that to Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes? We would be floored. We would be absolutely floored. Now, I will say this. I think the Rangers have done a really good job for the most part from a social media perspective and team perspective, backing their players. I remember when Artemi Panarin earlier this year had his situation with his political beliefs and where he stands and how he doesn't agree with Vladimir Putin. And the Rangers tweeted out onto everything saying we are, we stand with Artemi Panarin. And then they put out a message like this. I think that's wonderful. I really do. I think it's great. I'm not against it at all. And then you have this situation where both your president, who, mind you, is in just his second year as the president of the New York Rangers, and Jeff Gordon, who has only been the, the GM of the team since 2015, which isn't that long, it's just mind-boggling to me. It's ridiculous. It's actually ridiculous. Because, again, look, John Davidson did a hell of a job of building that Columbus Blue Jackets team and getting them the talent that they do have right now for the most part. Did a great job. He comes to the Rangers, and if you remember, and I've mentioned it before here on this podcast, if you remember when the Rangers finally decided that they were going to go, you know, quote-unquote, do a rebuild, which, I mean, I consider it more of a retooling than a rebuild, they sent out a letter to everybody, every Rangers fan, saying exactly what they're going to do and that it's going to take time. It's going to take time, and you got to be patient with us. And I was begging the Devils to do something similar to that, but they didn't. But it is what it is. Everybody's different. But I gave the Rangers a lot of credit for doing that. I really did. And I, I applaud them for it. And in the span of two years, Jeff Gordon and John Davidson have been able to get the second overall pick, drafted Kapo Kako. The very next year, they get the number one overall pick, draft Alexis Lafreniere. They're able to get Artemi Panera on a huge deal, get a great guy. They have two tremendous young goaltenders, Shesterkin and Georgia. They have a Norris Trophy candidate. Probably He probably should win the Norris Trophy in Adam Fox. Mika Zibanejad, Pavel Buchnevich. Do I need to go on here? Do I need to go on? They built that team, and they have one of the strongest farm systems in the NHL even now. And all of this ends up getting them fired because they underachieved in a year where they were not expected to make the playoffs. They made the playoffs last year because of the bubble. If we had a regular playoffs, they would have not made it. So I don't really know what exactly the expectations were, but I will tell you one thing. James Dolan, once again, got involved in something he should not have gotten involved in. If you're a Knicks fan, this is not the first time you've heard something like this. Because if you're a Knicks fan, you know how many times James Dolan has gotten involved in crap like this. 
but we have never seen James Dolan do something like this with the Rangers. We always applauded James Dolan as the owner of the Rangers because he basically just didn't get himself involved. He really, he pretty much just hired good people and just let them do what they needed to do. But all of a sudden he decides out of nowhere to just be involved and fire both of these guys. John, neither one of them did anything to lose their job. I get it. The Rangers didn't make the playoffs. All right. But there's still a young team with so much talent and potential. Okay. And they're going to get a lottery pick this year because they didn't make the playoffs. Are they going to get a top five pick? Probably not. But you never know with the lottery. It can always be crazy. Okay. Always crazy. But still, this is crazy. It's actually crazy. And we later found out that Chris Drury, who at the time was the assistant general manager to Jeff Gordon, also a former New York Ranger, would take over both as president and general manager for the time being. I think it's just going to be from an interim basis. Chris Drury had actually been getting offers from other teams to be a general manager. I actually even heard a rumor that the Devils were interested in making Chris Drury their general manager while they were doing the process before they ended up hiring um, or removing the interim tag from Tom Fitzgerald. Fun fact there. And another thing that I heard, which really kind of threw me for a loop, was that the person that is at the top of James Dolan's wish list for the next president is Mark Messier. Now, I get that. I get why you think that. But guess what? The last time James Dolan hired somebody who had no experience in that realm in the front office, guess what happened? He hired. Basically, I mean, he hired Phil Jackson, right? The greatest, possibly the greatest coach in NBA history. And he did very little as the, as the president of the New York Knicks. And there was so much craziness. Yes, he drafted Christoph Porzingis, but they didn't do anything. And that was mostly James Dolan's fault. But again, you know, Phil Jackson just wasn't it. He just didn't do that good of a job. I'm not trying to say that I don't think Mark Messier could do a good job. But he has no experience. I don't really see the point here. I don't. So I think this is, I think that would be a bad idea. I think James Dolan needs to keep doing what he's been doing with the Rangers. Hire people who know what they're doing and let them do what they need to do. And now, shockingly, John Davidson is sitting around after only two seasons without a job again. And this is where I wanted to talk about this because I think it's something kind of interesting. I doubt at all that something like this is going to happen. But could the Devils bring in John Davidson in some capacity to the front office? I think there's always a possibility, but I don't think so. We already have assistant general manager. Martin Brodeur is involved in hockey operations as well. But if there is an opening, honestly, if I was Tom Fitzgerald, I would, I would call. I would call. And I think I know John Davidson is a ranger for life. Don't get me wrong. But I'm sure if he's pissed off, he would love nothing more than to go to a team like the Devils or somebody within the division and make them pay for what they did. And I don't think Gordon and, and Davidson getting fired is, is, was the right thing. And look, I know Gordon got flacked two or three years ago and a lot of Rangers fans wanted him fire, but he had done a pretty bang up job building this team into where they are. And now you just fire them. You don't, I don't get that. I don't get what, what was James Dolan's expectation? It must have been a situation where he was so upset that the Knicks are good now, you know, being the fourth seed in the NBA and being good, that he was like, oh, well, now I'm just going to go do what I normally did with the Knicks, 
to the Rangers. That's literally what I've come up with as to why James Dolan did this. Only James Dolan does this all the time. And it's just so ridiculous. And it's crazy to think about this. When you look back, when we got our ass kicked in four straight against the Rangers, everybody was talking about the Rangers. They were saying, what a great job they've done building this team. And one guy I saw even put out a video saying the Rangers are the next dynasty, which is really, really ridiculous. And even through all of that, they still were not that close to making the playoffs. And they actually ended up not making the playoffs. And a lot of us have been critical of ownership and certain parts of the front office with the Devils over the last couple of years, considering, understandably. But it is kind of crazy how, when you think about it, we now have a much more stable front office at the moment than the Rangers. And in many, and it's really kind of a crazy thing. And it kind of puts some perspective to say, you know what? I think, I think we got to give these guys a little bit more of an opportunity to really do what they need to do to try to build this team. Because we're putting ourselves in a pretty good position. And myself included. I'm involved in that because you guys know all the things I've said about the, about the ownership in particular. Uh, over the last couple of months. But this is just a crazy thing. Um, I said to some people, I don't know whether to laugh or just be stunned and probably both uh, if, in one way or another. I mean, it is the Rangers. So, I mean, I get pleasure out of that no matter what. But uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens during the offseason, what the Rangers decide to do with their front office. And, uh, you know, again, do you guys think that John Davidson would be good in one way or another to be involved with the Devils uh, if we had an opening? And if not, why? Um, and if so, why as well? Just let me know on Twitter at Devil State and also on Instagram at Devil State of Mind when you guys hear this episode. The last thing I quickly wanted to mention also happened at around 3 o'clock on Wednesday. The Devils announced that they had signed goaltender Nico Dawes or Nicholas Dawes to an entry-level contract the team announced it on that on wednesday at three o'clock on their social media channels nico dawes is the devil's third round pick 84th overall in this past year's 2020 nhl draft and when nico dawes was drafted he was he was basically the number one north american goaltender and a lot of people told me that we got a stud of a goaltender and this is really i mean you know look it remains to be seen because we still we still have a lot of time and we have to figure out what we can do in the now for Mackenzie Blackwood, I still think we're going to have to go veteran uh, presence for at least another year or two uh, before one of these young guys can come in and, and help out. But, you know, getting another guy solidified in our system with a con entry-level contract is a really good thing. So I'm going to read you a little bit about Nico Dawes and the situation so that you guys have a better understanding. First of all, the entry-level contract begins next season, and the expectation is that Nico Dawes will be starting next year with the Utica Devils, since we know that they will no longer be in Binghamton. But the Devils minor league team, if it makes you feel better. But here's the thing, and I actually got this from uh, the Devils website, and I'll just read it to you. Nico Dawes recently finished his 2020-21 season with ERC Ingolstadt, which is in the DLE, which is the main hockey league in Germany. The six foot four, 205 pound net miner posted a four and six record in 10 games with one shutout and a 2.90 goals against average. Not bad. Solid for another very young goaltender. In 2019 20, Dawes went 23-8-3-3 with a 2.48 goals against average and an impressive 
0.924 save percentage for the Guelph Storm of the Ontario Hockey League, junior hockey. His save percentage ranked first and goals against average placed him third among all goaltenders in the Ontario Hockey League. He was also named to the OHL's first all-star team and was awarded OHL Goaltender of the Year. He had a really, really good year two years ago. Prior to the 2020 draft, Dawes was the top-ranked North American goalie in the NHL Central Scouting's final rankings. So again, when we ended up drafting him, a lot of people were telling me that we got an absolute stud, and it turns out to be the case, but again, hasn't played the NHL yet, and we got some time before we're going to probably see him in the NHL. But Dawes played three seasons in the OHL, all with the Guelph Storm. He also appeared in four playoff games, suiting up for two games during the 2018 OHL playoffs and again in 2019. Dawes was also a member of Team Canada's gold medal winning 2021 World or 2020 World Junior Championship team, where his teammates with fellow 2021 Devils draft pick Dawson Mercer also won it as well. And I think they screwed that up because it's not 2021. Uh, it's 2019. I think that was, I think that's. I don't know why it says 2021, but it is what it is. And here's something really interesting about Nico Dawes. He has dual citizenship because he was actually born originally in Munich, Germany. So he has dual citizenship with Germany and Canada. And he spent most of his childhood in Canada. So, you know, basically he's going to play for Team Canada and everything. But again, it's great that Tom Fitzgerald, especially this year, has been getting a handful of guys to sign entry-level deals. You know, we have got, like, you know, Nico Dawes, Alexander Holtz, Dawson Mercer, uh, Tice Thompson, uh, Marion Studenich, a bunch of guys that got themselves their entry-level deals. And it's great. Uh, Nolan Foote as well, I forgot to mention. Um, it's good because, then, you know, we, we have some stability and we can focus a little bit more on the team that we have now and how do we improve from there. So that's really good. And so, and again, it can't hurt to have as many goalies as you possibly can because you never know when you're going to end up getting a gem. And we would love to be in a situation like the Rangers are, where you have two really good goaltenders that you can play on any given night. And that's what we're looking for, because we know that Blackwood is our number one, but we got to get him some help. And whether that's going to be with a veteran goaltender for now, or eventually with a guy like Nico Dawes, Gilgis Sen, Evan Cormier, whatever, whoever, you know, we need to get him that help. But again, another Awesome job by the Devils to get another one of their young prospects signed to an entry-level deal. And again, his contract will begin at the start of the 2021-22 season. What's going on, Devils fans? It's your host, Neil Villapiano. Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. The best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. If you want to check out more of the podcast, here's what you do. You go wherever you listen to podcasts. So that could be Spotify. That could be iTunes. That could be Google Podcasts. You know, where, wherever you listen to podcasts, you go and you search Devil's State of Mind, and you will find the new episodes that we post every week on both Mondays and Thursdays. Please also go check out the Hockey Podcast Network as a whole. We have podcasts for all the teams in the NHL, as well as other great hockey podcasts. So just like with Devil State of Mind, just search Hockey Podcast Network, and you can see all the podcasts that we have on this great network. You can follow the Devil State of Mind on social media. You can follow us on Twitter at Devil State, and you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook 
at Devil's State of Mind. Make sure to also follow the Hockey Podcast Network on all social media platforms. Just search at H-O-C-K-E-Y, Hockey, P-O-D, Pod, N-E-T, Net. If you want to listen to more of my voice, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Podcast, where I talk about all things going on in the wide world of sports. New episodes go out every Monday and Thursday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, go like and subscribe to the Mofobo Network Sports Presents channel on YouTube, where just like the podcast, I talk about different topics that are going on in the world of sports as well. New videos go out every single Tuesday on YouTube. So it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents, and you will find it. Again, new videos out every Tuesday. You can stay up to date with all the new episodes and videos by following me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W, my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11, and also Mofobo Network on Facebook. And last, but certainly not least, go check out both my books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble right now. The first is J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Agony and the Ecstasy, Nah, no ecstasy of being a Jets fan. This book is about all the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So from all the painful moves, painful games, painful player decisions, painful ownership decisions, you know, where, you know, anything we could think of, it's in this book. So this is really for the Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know some one of those, or if you just want to support me, go check out that book. The other book that I just published recently is titled Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. This one is all about the regrets of being a Mets fan. And even through world championships in 1969 and 1986, there was so much regret between those years, between those years, as well as the years following 1986. Both of these books, are available for both hardcover and ebook for the price of 1969. So if you're a Jets fan or a Mets fan, or by some chance you're both, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So again, please go check out both of those books. The first one, J-E-T-S, Pain, 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 The Pain and Suffering of Being a New York Jets Fan, and also Meet the Mets Mess, the R-E-G-R-E-T-S of New York Town. But once again, thank you guys so much for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Villapiano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the amazing people that you are, you know, every single day. You know, always remember to just be yourself and continue to kick absolute butt. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!